I think that the key words are flexibility and being agile. Meet Antonio Mexia. He leads one of the world's largest players in renewable energy. This is Net Zero, a podcast by the Florence School of Regulation about the energy transition and climate change. I am Joana Freitas, and in this series, I'm inviting myself into the minds of some truly insightful people with very different perspectives. Today, we are joined by Antonio Mexia, CEO of the EDP Group, to discuss if the speed of change inside utilities is up to the challenge of the energy transition. Antonio, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Let's start with innovation. Jack Welsh once said that when the rate of change on the outside exceeds the rate of change on the inside, the end is near. What specific initiatives have you seen work and not work in the stimulation of innovation and change inside power utilities? Yes, uh, we are living today revolution with new technologies like AI, IoT, totally transforming most sectors, but specifically the energy sector. The energy sector, it was for decades a very traditional one. Nothing happened. Today is clearly facing a huge, huge transformation that we don't know exactly what will happen, but we are trying to guess the future. We need basically to rethink all our business models, exploring new technologies, fit them into our business. And for this, open innovation is key, as most opportunities will probably come from outside our walls, from outside the company. One of our first moves was in 2007. We created an innovation unit, DP Innovation, that had uh, several roles, but basically it was a challenger of the whole organization. I don't believe innovation is one department. It's the opposite, but we created this to challenge and basically to tease all the organization. We are running a VC fund, EDP Venture, that has already invested in more than 30 startups. And we are running a startup engagement program with other utilities in the world, pre-electrons. So we go from a world where people didn't talk to each other, even utilities, and now we collaborate with other utilities trying to work out things together. So this allows us basically to uh, be open, and we are tried since the beginning to take the barriers out of the innovation. We expose people to innovation-centered ecosystems, like the Web Summit, like Silicon Valley, and we force the immersive joint projects, design thinking, agile. So this basically has changed how we see uh, our work and how we relate to the exterior. First, we accumulate know-how, cooperative ecosystem, optionality, open innovation is key. Taking into uh, Jack Wells' words, what is the role of CEO is basically energizing people. That keeps being the same. Everything else changed, but <laughs> you still have to energize people now in a, in a new environment. You touched on the, the change of the business models, and I wanted to discuss how different players along the value chain of energy have had traditionally very different cultures. For example, uh, generators have one type of culture, grid operators, very different one, and retail uh, of energy also quite diverse. What do you see are the key challenges that these different types of, of players, and you have all of those in your, in your portfolio, what are the challenges they are facing in adapting the culture to the demands of the energy transition? As we have stated, we are in the middle of a revolution. If you are in the middle of a revolution, you need to change your behavior. And in the middle of a revolution, it's better that you be on the winning side. And for this, you need basically to anticipate and try to understand exactly where will be the critical mass and where will be the knowledge that will be driving forces. We have started very early, first mover in, uh, in renewables. And clearly, this brought us, I would say, the, the positive virus of change. And people understand that uh, 
uh, everything would be different and that new people, that new culture, that new way of doing business, much more granular, much less centralized, was decisive to start the culture change. So then you need to adapt. So anticipate and then you adapt. You need to adapt uh, the way how we work. And then you just, I would say not oblige, but you ferment that people will look outside. Uh, you, you give them new experiences. So you even do spin-offs of some of the business that we were doing, engaging your own people. So it's a process that is not uh, instantaneous, but um, it's uh, a new culture where you allow for more risk, uh, more error, more horizontal, more open, less bureaucratic. The beginning can be difficult, but then people have fun on this process. And, uh, and that fun is indispensable for people to feel happy and happiness is critical for and have you, have you felt that the renewable side of your business, which has been the key bet in the last 10 years, has changed the overall culture of EDP? Yes, we, we, we came from a zero business in terms of zero percentage of EDA. After 12 years, 40% of our EDA is coming from a business that did not exist. So it changed totally. So we started with a small group, and then this group was allowed the right to invest and to show that uh, the value creation was a lot there for the company. It was a differentiation of our company. And this, of course, brought um, new ways of working and uh, this spread out throughout the company. And uh, today we are basically very different. When you see uh, in terms of enablement and engagement, people feel totally different from what they've done. 10 years ago. You also have distribution grids in your in your portfolio. And traditionally, the key priority for grid operators is security of supply. But now grids also need to change very fast to adapt to this new system, you know, which is decentralized, decarbonized. In your view, how can grid operators maintain the security of supply, keeping lights on all yeah. the time while adapting to this yeah. change? The system will be, of course, much more decentralized and more, much more digital. Everything will be about data and information. Grids will be a place where this will happen. We need the grid in the middle of this energy transition. Of course, it's everything about security, with everything about also empowering the consumer and making the grids more efficient. So this data-intensive system, much more digital, will have a new life. Everybody considers that uh, grids would be a boring business. It will, it will be everything except boring because the technical challenges and, uh, and the role that you need to play, coping with competition on both hands, on generation and, of course, on, on the supply side, will be decisive. So that part of the system will be really one of the exciting parts. Moving on to the topic of talent, power utilities have been, by and large, command and control organizations and they have an aging workforce. Uh, for example, according to Goldman Sachs, a third of employees across European utilities are over 50 years old. What do you think needs to change in organization and talent in utilities for them to be able to drive the technological and market disruptions that you were mentioning and that are coming? I think that the key words are flexibility and being agile. 48% of our people are already training, trained on agile methods new technology, digital transformation, and the goal is to have 85% of the people by 2022. Remote, less traditional ways of decision-making. We have recently introduced the concept of shadow boards. So we pick uh, young people that are 
basically awarded the, the responsibility. They are supposed to organize and to have a decision-making process, then they will expose to the board company. So I think it's very important. Of course, we need to attract the best talented. And for this, you need to have a story to tell. A story not only as business, but uh, for the society in terms of sustainability, in terms of the new world. So you need to be attractive because today is not only about uh, knowledge, about talent, but talent, you need to, to have this with, with courage. And to be courageous, you need a story. You need to fight for something. And clearly, technology doesn't work for the sake of technology. So, of course, you have new means of work, but you need to know how to enhance uh, people's strengths and uh, people's will in this digitalized world. We're involved in what we call EDPX, more than 1,500 people. We identified more than 500 digital initiatives. We have created more than 130 MVPs, and this in less than one year. So you need to really go fast because uh, the only thing that you cannot is wait. There is a sense of urgency and that sense of urgency needs to be felt across all the population and uh, diversity is a critical element. We work in uh, 15 countries. We have 42 nationalities. And the way different people that were born and educated in different environments, they have an approach totally different from for, for the same problem. And this diversity is critical. You need really to be to introduce uh, different ways of thinking. Without this, you will not be never a winner. So, and especially a board cannot be close to this. And specifically, I wanted to talk about how diversity is impacting the leadership positions because energy companies have been mostly led by all male executive teams mm. with engineering backgrounds and many years of industry expertise. And now these teams are being called upon to deliver some major seismic changes. What needs to be different in the leadership uh, of the energy companies to fulfill this, this goal? I'm male, but I'm, a, I'm an economist, <laughs> not an engineer. <laughs> but the world is, of course, becoming more digital, as I mentioned, more connected, more competitive. Uh, we need to anticipate, you need to adapt, all this. Uh, but mainly you need to be uh, more human, more transparent, and of course more diverse. By the way, human and transparency implies diversity. You cannot be more human and more transparent without diversity. I'm not, not only gender everything that uh, relates to different ways of living. Uh, we need leaders that want to collaborate and can create networks that are constant learners and flexible thinkers that have the necessary courage to face a challenge. And uh, to give an idea, uh, in 2015, we had 36% of baby boomers. In 2019, we will be less than 20%. To be more precise, 19%. The generation Y that was 10% in 2015 is, will be almost a quarter in 2019, it will be the dominant generation. And in 2019, we are already more than 25% women as managers. So, uh, and even we did um, a trainee program that was launched uh, last year all over the world. We attracted more than 5,000 candidates from 83 nationalities. And then we hired 15 men and 15 women. And it was a fantastic process with, I, I stress this, having candidates from 85 countries and is in these 30 people trainees we had 14 nationalities and this of course implies uh, i think walk the talk in terms of diversity of, uh, of origin or gender of uh, way of thinking that's critical so you mentioned urgency um 
But a lot of people think that the next decade will still be pretty much how it was before, a system that is uh, focused on centralized generation, uh, with production in the center, with limited storage. How can one create a sense of urgency, not only in top management, but across the organization for the change that is coming? Basically, to explain to people and to prove uh, and, uh, and be open to the signals that are coming from everywhere. This is a top-down movement, but it's also now a bottom-up in the sense that people that are uh, on its daily business, they already face their challenges. But it's also something that is clearly demanded by society on the streets, everywhere. I was last week in the UN, New York UN Climate Change Summit, and compared to one year ago, probably the thing that surprised me the most was the fact that Typically on those meetings where you see utilities and you see also some politicians, some associations, you see now also money. You see equity investors, you see clearly uh, debt uh, market. Everybody now understands that this risk, the risk of climate change, is, is uh, it's not a story. It's really uh, something that you need to tackle. If you don't, we will have a rough time if we don't do it. And uh, so it's getting obvious to everybody. So technology led the way. So technology has made everything much cheaper, much easier, much more interconnected, much uh, but clearly, I would stress, much cheaper. The revolution of renewables is also driven by the fact that uh, levelized cost of energy went down by, for solar by, um, in the last decade, by 80% on wind by more than 50. So everything got cheap. So technology is leading the way. Utilities now globally are out of the denial phase because at the beginning they thought it would be okay. It will be slow. So I have time. Even oil and gas is starting to understand that they need to move. You have already a big part of the sector that uh, is clearly engaged in this, also pushed by their investors. And globally, also there will be a risk perception of those that will not be dealing with climate change in the in the industry or energy industry but elsewhere by the way uh, it will be true for government uh, for food for everything so unless you cope with this and you demonstrate that you cope with this you will be facing probably a reaction from your consumers from your partners from your society so basically it's, a, it's a, something that is going underway irreversible and you better be in the front row. This is a story that needs a narrative that needs to be shared and you need to know what is your role inside that narrative, being very clear about your commitment, about your goals, but being very transparent in what concerns walking the talk. To end our interview, uh, I would now like to ask you some rapid fire questions, which you can answer with one or two words or just take a wild guess. Zero carbon Europe by 2050, myth or reality? Reality. The future? And EDP will be a role model. Okay. The future of storage, batteries or power to gas? Batteries, first. What year will see the last internal combustion engine vehicle sold in Europe? 2035. What will the percentage of power generated by prosumers be in 2050? 35. The main challenge for utilities in the next decade is? Culture change to enable the redesign of the business. And our final question, 
Do you believe that the Paris Agreement goal of keeping the increase in global average temperature well below 2 degrees or even at 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels will be attained? And if yes, by what date? I think that will not be on a nostalgic, we will all have Paris, like in Casablanca movie. I really believe that uh, Paris, already compared to Copenhagen, uh, was a strong move. It was an invitation, but a strong invitation for people to join and countries to join. I think that the key role will be uh, through electricity. So electrification will be the key element for decarbonization. This will require on the most developed countries, of course, as we mentioned, we have the technology, we have understood, the, the players have already understood the challenge in terms of business models. We really need now politicians to assure and regulators that you have the right incentives and that that sense of urgency felt in the streets and by everybody will be translated into a framework that allows the investments. We are talking about a huge investment. Everywhere, generation, uh, transmission, uh, distribution, uh, blockchains, mobility, everything. So all of these need to have a, a sane and sound uh, framework. At the same time, we need, and this is decisive, you have more or less 900 million, almost 1 billion people that don't have access to power. You have almost 3 billion that don't have access to clean cooking. So uh, it's critical that we all have access to sustainable energy for all. I'm chairing this UN spin-off on sustainable energy for all that does the advocacy of this revolution also. This is important because you, you can have a quantum leap in terms of quality of life of growth, but also in terms of decarbonization. People have, can have access today to a, a cheap off-grid solutions that will create really a fast-growing market. We're talking mainly in Africa, also parts of Asia. So the challenge is global, everywhere, developed and uh, developing countries. And the question is, can we bear the risk of not fulfilling the Paris Agreement? The answer is no. So to your question, I say, we are going to meet Paris because we don't have an alternative. We don't have, a, we can have a plan B for the solutions, but we don't have a planet B. All right. Antonio, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Next time on Net Zero. I think that nowadays, especially in Europe, the pressure of the incumbents is huge. The only thing is the question of time frame. Thank you for tuning into Net Zero. You can catch new episodes, subscribe, and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts.